Hello everyone! Welcome to the How Are You Really Feeling podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates Black mental health through honest, candid, emotionally free conversations and encourages culturally sensitive therapy. I am your host, Precious. I'm thrilled to have you. How Are You Really Feeling has teamed up with Act Like You Know Volume 1, an annual hardcore punk festival happening in Tulsa this November. Over the past month, we've been working on a series of episodes that will feature all the Black performers on the 2022 lineup. The interviews will explore the relationship between Black hardcore musicians and mental health. All Act Like You Know proceeds will be donated to Oklahomans for Equality, which is Oklahoma's resource for LGBTQ plus persons and their families. OFE seeks equal rights for LGBTQ plus individuals and families through intersectional advocacy, education, programs, alliances, and the operation of the Dennis R. Neal Equality Center. The Fest is currently running a contest to give away complimentary hotel for three nights. The rules are simple. Post the flyer to Twitter or Instagram and tag the fest. The winners will be randomly selected. You must tag the fest to be eligible. The contest will run until August 1st. How Are You Really Feeling is also participating in a three-way coverage collaboration and co-sponsoring the fest with For The Punks, which is an online publication and resource for fans and creators to connect, learn, and grow together coverage has officially started on the For the Punks website. Leading up to November, we're making posts about all of the performing bands. In the first part of the series, our founder, Carolyn Hope, highlights 11 bands to listen to. Anxious, Foreign Hands, Si Dios Quiere, Spaced, Ankle Biter, Squint, Take It to Heart, Snuffed on Sight, Side Eye, Constraint, and Pummel. Our first two written interviews in support of Act Like You Know Fest are with Chicago hardcore band Si Dios Quiere by Giselle Pernet and Boston-based band Pummel by Shelby Price. Stay up to date with For the Punks on social media before, during, and after the festival for featured posts, interviews, music reviews, and more. I couldn't do this series without interviewing fellow photographer and Act Like You Know sponsor, the one and only Chris Victor, the founder and editor of Board Magazine. He's also the vocalist and lead for the outlaw hardcore band from the Lone Star State, Texas, True Grit. Boardmagazine.co slash about reads, and I quote, Board Magazine is the world through the eyes of an individual neck deep in the underground culture. It is not just another zine. It is a collection of visuals and information translated through detailed storytelling. It caters to the DIY music culture and independency of small businesses by shining light on the up and coming. Every new article drags the reader down further and further to a world they have yet to know and want to learn more about. Nothing short of expression and optimism is to be expected at board. The celebration of the underdog, the taboo, the hard worker, the artist, the creative, and those who aren't recognized takes place here. With the essence of true Southern hospitality, Board Magazine is for the culture. End quote. In conversation with Chris, we discussed the DFW hardcore scene, professionalism versus mental health, and how he celebrates Black mental health as a father. Thank you, Act Like You Know Fest. This is the third installment of Black Love Letters to Hardcore. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. As your host, I am not a medical or mental health professional. Always seek the advice of your physician or qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are in a crisis, please contact your doctor or call 911 immediately. Help is available 24-7. Chris, how are you really feeling? How are you doing? Um, I'm good now. Um, I will say that for a while, things mentally and uh, emotionally have been somewhat of a roller coaster, but um, I'm just I'm just making it through it. 
And I'm just keeping my head up, keeping my chin up. Uh, every day that I wake up, I'm just like, listen, you woke up today, you have a house, you know, beautiful daughter, beautiful girlfriend, pets, animals all over the place. So life has to be good if I'm making up to that every day, you know? That's such a beautiful way of describing it. How is your how is your summer going so far? Okay, I'm in Arkansas and it is literally a thousand degrees every single day. I think you're in Dallas. Well, okay, so I am 45 minutes north, which is a town called Denton. That is where UNT, uh, you know, you know, not United, University of North Texas is. Yeah. Um, and it is hot in Texas. Um, too hot for me. Um, let me take that back. It's always been too hot for me. Uh, I lived in Texas for all of my life. So 32, 33 years. And I still can't handle it. Oh, still. my God. No, like, I mean, I don't know if I've ever been in Texas in the summer, but literally I'm just a little baby. I have like little fans around me all the time because it's just it's just too hot. I want it to be Christmas, but at the same time, I don't know. And then also like we live in Tornado Alley. So it's like you can't really enjoy the spring that much because there's a tornado warning around the corner mm-hmm. and then the summertime but it's okay. I know the summertime is filled with festivals and shows, which is perfect because of your magazine, Board Magazine. I know that the magazine started, it was created out of boredom, but can you let me in on just a little bit more information? Like, how did you get started? What inspired it? And what has kept you going for so long? Okay, so initially, it was Father's Day about five years ago, probably six years ago now. And at the time, my daughter was like, what's, what's 13 minus five? Whatever the oh, math is. 12, 13 minus 10, 9, 8. 8? Okay, nine, yeah, so she was, yeah. Okay, so she was, she's around that age, and we went outside for a little photo shoot. And one of the photos that I captured was her sitting on the curb, and the stop sign was, was right above her and her facial expression, she looked very bored. So that's where I got the name from, just automatically. Six months later, I got myself a square space and I started going. I just started going from there. Your articles are completely packed full of words. I'm so jealous. I take forever to finish articles. You could ask our For the Punks founder, Carolyn, I take months because I just, I don't know, I'm just constantly overthinking it, but no. And then you're also a photographer, like you mentioned, you take amazing, amazing photos of the show. I think you call them your visual stories. And every time I go through the article, I definitely, definitely feel like I am there. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. Yes. So it's been about five years or so? Um, yeah, it's been about five years. Um, I didn't take it too seriously until 2019. And then from 2019 on, we had that pandemic, uh, 2020, whatever. So that kind of put a stop to everything. Not really, but it slowed everything down. And after everything lifted up from the pandemic, I just been going to the stars with it as much as I can. What happened in 2019? Um, no, nothing really. I just decided that this is something that I like to do. This is something I want to do. So I just started taking a little bit just more, a little bit more serious than when I started out initially. Um, and like I say, 2020 hit. When 2020 hit, I had a lot of thoughts of just letting it go anyway. Cause I was like, listen, I don't know what's going to happen what's COVID? Like, what is this? You know? So I had the thoughts of just putting it down, but some just told me to keep going with little uh, music reviews here and there, or a little photo shoot here and there, but not too much, but excuse me, when 2021 hit, oh yeah, that's when I was really like getting into the writing, getting into how I shoot versus just shooting. Um, And yeah, 
It's been going good from there. Now, what got you interested in hardcore in the first place? When did that start for you? Okay, so I have been in the uh, DFW hardcore scene for a good 16 years now. 16 years. So, you know, that's that's my home. So I it was it was imperative that I write about where I'm from, my scene, take photos of my scene, try to interview as many bands as I can if I'm able to at the time, you know, stuff like that. Um because my goal is just to put the world on, let the world know what DFW has to offer, you know? Do you remember your first show at all? I remember my first show, my sh- well, okay. Was it my first? Yes, Proncore. Well, what was your first show? My first show, oh man, that's back, back. Um, I could tell you my first, one of my first few shows. And that was... Was it a Hands of the Few show? Oh my God, they all run together. Um, well, I will tell you one of the shows that really stuck out to me back in, I believe, like 06 or 07. Uh, 108, it was 108 that was there. And, and it was at a place called Red Blood Club at Deep Ellum. Um, 108, Down to Nothing. Uh, who else? Was this the same Madball and Sick of It All show? I think I'm running things together. But it was, but I do remember that it was down to nothing from Virginia way back in the, uh, way back in the day, Richmond, Virginia. And I remember I did my first stage dive. And I remember the lead singer, after he performed, he was like, yo, that's, that was a pretty cool stage dive. And then from there, I was like, this is it. Like, you know, like like the heavens came down. Now, how did that come about? Did you just kind of see it online? Did you see? Did you hear friends talking about? Oh, you got to come to the show. Were you already kind of listening to hardcore? Like, what got you to start going to shows? Okay, so MySpace was uh, popping back then. So it was a it was like a MySpace flyer that I seen, you know, somewhere. Um, but how I got into the music, I would say like 03, 04, I was like into new metal, new metal stuff like that. Um, but before then it was punk. So it was like, it was like everybody's favorites, misfits or you know, bad brains or minor threat, like everybody's favorites, because that's all that's all I was able to, you know, to get a hold of, like from the record store down the street. And then from there, you know, uh, it was Lincoln Park, Slipknot, whatever the case may be, uh, Limb Biscuit, uh, Deftones, Incubus. And um, fast forward to like a year or so later, I got a computer. So I had the internet. <laughs> so I started, you know, doing, you know, looking stuff up, uh, messed around and went on uh, victoryrecords.com and found one of my favorite bands ever, Blood for Blood. And then from there, it was like, oh, okay. Like, this is the music that I need to be listening to because it relates to what I'm going through, so. I just love that so much. Yes, there's so many veterans. Like, everybody I talked to so far, like, oh, when did you first get started in hardcore? They're like, oh, like 10, 15 years ago. And I'm just like, wow. I mean, it hasn't even been a year yet and it's already just like changed my whole life changed my whole perspective on everything i've grown so much mentally i'm just like i can imagine like 15 years of just such i don't even know the word for it it's just the aurora of it all like the event Mm -hmm. of it all i mean it really is just transformative Okay, so I've been I've been so anticipating to talk to you about this because right now I'm in the middle of my Solange awakening. I've told literally everybody like Solange is my whole life right now. Okay. And, and literally, of course, she's from Texas, from Houston, Texas. And she has so much to say about Houston culture, Texas culture, and I'm guessing the Texas culture is super duper important to you. I love your your style. I love um, your perspective on just Texas 
hardcore in general there is something special about texas i did go to a show after prom court and i think it was dare think twice ozone a lot of dfw all-stars and there is something special about texas in general but especially about texas hardcore that Mm -hmm. i'm interested to get your take on like what do you think is so what is that thing about dfw hardcore that just doesn't exist anywhere else it's only in texas well i'm going to tell you right now since i am a born and raised texan everything that i'm going to say is going to be the good about texas you're not going to hear me speak ill about none of nobody down here Okay, so I'm, I'm going to put that out there right now. It's going to be biased. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, um, but to start it off, I will say that the feeling that I get in North Texas hardcore um, is that huge sense of community. Um, so when I first started going to hardcore shows, I, I was lost. I was very vulnerable. Um, afraid of life, angry, and I mean, everything, everything out there that a young teen can feel, you know, going through trauma and stuff like that. Um, but when I started going to shows and start to feel the camaraderie and the participants in my scene, um, it just, it really made me feel at home. It really made me feel warm. Um, kind of like how you said, whenever you see me at prom court, like you felt safe, you felt warm. That is the energy that I felt stepping into shows, no matter how violent shows got. It was just afterwards, everybody was cool. Everybody was shaking hands. Everybody was like, yo, catch you at the next show. Um, so with that being said, my scene, like I say, straight biased here, my scene has a great sense of community. Um, and I'm not even going to say that the scene is one big circle. Some will say, but like I say, hey, it's still a community-based situation. You do have your bad apples. I'm not going to say that we don't. Every scene, every place that you go to is going to have their bad apples. But I will say that down here, if you are really, really into the scene and there is a bad apple messing with you, something's going to happen to you. Um, there's been plenty of shows I've been to over the years where if, if I wasn't a part of it, I have seen something to where there's a bad apple put into a situation amongst friends. The friends don't like it. Get that ass out of here. Uh, straight. It is what it is. You know, um, that's, that's the one thing I will say about DF, North Texas hardcore, DFW hardcore. Um, and also too, when you are really into the scene, you really get to know the people in the scene. It's it's similar to a family environment. It's similar to that. I mean, it gets to the point now, and every show that I go to, I'm giving out a million hugs, a million hugs, going inside the show and when everybody's leaving. And you're going to get a nothing but a whole bunch of hugs from me. Make sure you get home safe. I'm going to see you next time. Like, I'm going to like your shit on Twitter. You know, all that, you know? So, yeah, that's that would be my answer to you for that question. See, I, oh, I wish... I have, an, I have an aunt that lives in Arlington, Texas. Mm -hmm. Most of my family... Well, okay, I get, Louisiana is great, too. I, I was about to say... I don't have that much family in Texas. I secretly kind of wish I was from Texas. But even if you are a visitor, you definitely feel invited and welcome and at home. A home, even if you've never been there before. Mm -hmm. I mean, even in the, okay, my first concert ever, ever, ever. It was an EDM show. It was Excision okay. in Dallas. And I'd been going to shows in Oklahoma just because it's it's super close but mm -hmm. just the fact that I started there and every time I go back it's just it, oh my god there's just something something special about Dallas about Texas in general I love how you talked about feeling lost because I feel completely lost 
all the time. And it is so satisfying when you can find a niche or a community that just understands whether it's through their lyrics or their body language when you're interacting with them, the hugs, making sure everybody's safe yes. and everybody's getting home. Yes. Would you, okay. Earlier today, I was reading your most, I think it's your most recent article on Ford Magazine mm -hmm. about what happened in March. I think it was March. Mm -hmm. Yes. And literally, okay, it's one of those situations where, of course, you know something like that is possible, mm -hmm. but when it actually happens, you're still kind of stunned by the audacity that like it actually happened. It's not, it's not just a stereotypical situation. Um, and it can get dangerous at times whenever those topics are brought up. Would you like to elaborate about your most recent article? Um, yeah, we can dig into that a little bit. Um, but I don't want to dig into it too much. Um, that is for people to read and understand a little bit more about the situation. Um, but yeah, basically it's, it was, it was an embarrassing thing for me because this, the situation that happened, um, the band Zulu, they came down and they performed and, um, and I'm the kind of person I don't really like, I don't really like putting out names. So I'm just going to just keep it, you know, on the base level. Um, so, you know, Zulu came down, they performed at the end. One of the musicians um, expressed their views on the, the particular garment that the sound guy had. Um, then the sound guy got irate, or irate, irate, and um, had some choice words, antagonizing situations. And, um, Time went on and, you know, those words went from verbal to a physical altercation and business had to be taken care of. Um, it's embarrassing because it, how can I put it? It doesn't put a damper on the scene like, oh, well, this is what Texas is all about or this is what this scene is all about. It's just that I'm the kind of person I'm so warm that when people come into my scene, I want them to have the best experience. So when all that happened, I, I was like, whoa, like, what the fuck is this? And it's not like I had any control over this. So I don't blame myself by any means, but I'm just like, yo, I want the people that come here to perform have the best time here so they don't want to come back. I'm not saying that they will never come back because of that, but it just sucks because... I mean, I'm gonna keep 100 silence with you. Here in Texas, yeah, that racism is still alive. Um, where I work, well, where I deliver my uh, food products to is really into, is really in the country. I'm talking about super deep in the country. And there are times here and there where I will come across not something like that, but I will come across little instances of racism here and there. So it's still alive and well. Um, I wouldn't know how to stop it unless I'm about to put my hands on you or something at the time. <laughs> but as a whole, yeah, it's it's still on and popping down here. It's as a shine away. I mean, hey, the sound guy was there and he he knew he knew what he was in for, but he had that pride going. <laughs> like in the way that it all happened, the way that it went down, it was like there's a whole lot of ignorance going on from that man. Like and. I don't know. It's like I said, I don't really want to speak too deep into it. That's what the article is for, but it was upsetting. It was very upsetting to see that and have, have all that go down like that. I completely, completely understand. And definitely, it is that is something that happens um, everywhere, of course. In the South, um, whenever I come into contact with stuff like that, like, okay, I serve tables. And I think right around 2019, 2020-ish, um, I was serving a table with a guy that had like very similar garments on. And mm -hmm. it was very clear, like what his position was in terms of everything associated with that. Mm -hmm. And 
as a server, you kind of just have to smile and just pretend, um, even if you feel unsafe or um, if you feel like you might be in harm's way. And mm -hmm. it just kind of situations like that just kind of reminds me just how much we have to pretend about, if that makes sense. Um, and just, I think it's called a double consciousness of just how you can be having an external experience, but a completely different internal experience. Mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. not always space or invitation for both. So, do you ever feel like that whenever you're attending a show and things like that happen? Like, what do you do when home doesn't feel as safe anymore? Mm, well, at shows, that time right there and how it all went down, mm, it don't really happen, you know? Um, I can't recall a last time that I was at a show and that happened with racism being the base of it, or my, not even just racism, but, you know, something of that sort. Um, so yeah, no. But I will say though, and now outside of shows is a different story. Like I say, where I work, um, even going towards the direction of the towns that I'm going to, it's just Trump flags all over the place. Confederacy all over the place, all that, all that can change. And um, I will like to say before I continue forward that Although you do, or I, there was that Trump memorabilia and Confederate memorabilia over on this side too as well, not every person is a bad person. It's just the ones that use it to fuel their ignorance and to fuel their need for violence or their need for confrontation or just to hold pride into something because for whatever reason, um, now handling that, that in a sense takes a lot of strength. Um, cause one of the towns that I delivered to is, is one of the last former sundown towns. So you still have older folks that are out there and I'm not going to say that they still have their full on mentality, but if they do that, I don't really see it as often. But you still have folks out there that, you know, you can tell like, oh, well, it, it ain't past five yet now, is it? You know what I mean? So, it's, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's tough because at the same time, I have to be professional. Like, I just can't flat out, hey, what? Yo. I'm out here delivering these bread products to the to these towns to feed these people. So in that sense, um, yeah, it just requires a lot of strength. Um, and that's not strength that I developed recently. I say I'm born and raised in Texas. Like that's not the first time I had, you know, some something of that sort of happen. So over a period of time, I had to develop that strength to be like, you know, listen. <laughs> cool it, you know what I mean? Um, and not every time do, not every time was that successful, but, you know, to, how can I put it? How can I put it? I feel like to lead a decent life, you really gotta not only hone in on yourself, but hone in on others as well. Because a lot of times, unless it gets like, to a point of no return. A lot of times when people react in that way, it's almost not necessarily their fault. It's almost in the sense of this is what they're born with and they have no other means on looking outside of it. But it takes a certain kind of person to realize that. It takes a certain kind of person to realize that because you have plenty of folks out here who would oh, well, this person is this, and that person is that, and don't give them any room to grow because they're judgmental, so I'm going to be judgmental too. Wait a minute. You know what I mean? Wait a minute, you know? Just think a little bit deeper about things. And I feel like with 
that element by myself, I'm able to connect with anybody, anybody. Well, I'm not going to say anybody because we had that situation, but, you know, with most people at the base level of it, you know. I love that so much. I mean, maybe, maybe the word, oh, I can't think of the word. Maybe it's empathy or just in terms of general critical thinking, there's always another layer. And we are all products of our environment and we all yes. have our own influences. Yes. So it's important to, that comes with consciousness, that comes with being in the present moment and just realizing that this is all bigger than one person, bigger than us. Mm-hmm. I have learned from experience that so much emotional performing can weigh on your mental health especially I mean it just kind of seems like for me sometimes it feels like I just can't be human or if I do have human moments where I do want to cuss somebody out or I do want to let somebody know how I'm actually really feeling but I'll feel a ton of shame afterward or I just there's not a lot of emotional freedom in my internal universe Uh does being professional and thinking so critically and having so much empathy, does it ever weigh on your mental health? Are you able to experience those feelings in a healthy way or does it ever backfire at all? So when I was younger, yeah, for sure. When I was younger, everything, you know what I'm saying? It'll backfire like it's no problem. But um, what I have grown to realize and what has helped me is looking at my emotions as nothing more than an indicator. So when something happens, the first thing that you feel is obviously emotion, but it's an indicator to let you know how you feel about that and what you should do for the remainder of the time. So when I started to look at emotion as that, and I'm not discrediting emotion at all. Like, let's not let's not get there because that's us as humans. Like us as humans, we have that emotional intelligence or lack of, and that intellect, you know what I mean? That's what separates us from uh, other animals. Um, <clears throat> let me not go too far off track. But um, so as I've gotten older and I started to use emotion as indicator of things, I started to, I started to, uh, that out there in an outside perspective towards people. So whenever I catch somebody and their emotions or I get emotions from them, I'm like, okay, first thing, it's an indicator for something. All right, so then for what? You know what I mean? When I keep it at that base level, then it helps me to show that sympathy and show that empathy and not get so um, wrapped up into their own emotions to where I go off and I start to feel that way. I'm at this point now, I am able to um, separate that. Like I don't carry anybody else's emotions with me home anymore because I'm a little bit more knowledgeable now. I have more strength now, older, more mature now to do so. I just, I literally, I just love how you're saying everything, like, oh, your vocabulary, like, just your word choice, I'm just like, oh my god, I freak out about words a lot, and I'm like, oh my god, I love that word, indicator, wow, I'm gonna, like, write it on my wall, (laughs) that is so, so, so true, what comes to your mind when you think about mental health, or um, Black mental health, that phrase, are there any memories or visions that come to mind, um, did that phrase exist? Has it always existed? Or is it something new that you're kind of finding out about as you go? Um, is the phrase Black mental health, you're, you're asking me if it's new, you're asking me? If you, if you're just now feeling comfortable saying, or if you've ever heard that term used before, if you've ever thought it was possible for us to be in that conversation of mental health? Well, um, yeah, of course. I mean, we're human. I mean, yeah, you know, you know, we are Black, and Black folks need to, 
or not black folks, but other folks need to put more attention onto black mental health because why not? We're human. Um, but I never thought about that because we're human. I always thought it was unfair that um, our mental health wasn't being, um, what would be the word? Put out there, I guess. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to keep it simple, but put out there as much as anybody else. But yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I, you know, I'm a human, so let's, you know, let's, let's all get to. Let's, let's all have um, a space for mental health on all ends of the spectrum of all races. I never, I never understood why not. Well, actually, let me take it back. I always understood why not, but at in these times, I just don't understand why. Oh, it's, it's no, nah, it should have been a thing. And I mean, hell, like we can go way further than our time to talk about black mental health, right? I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> we should have been had this conversation a long time ago, way long time ago. When I first started the show, I told my mom, like, mom, I'm starting the show and it's gonna be called How Are You Really Feeling? And it's gonna be about black mental health. And she kind of looked at me like, okay, like, what do you mean by that? Like, do you mean, and even when I first got into therapy right around like 2012 or 2013, when I would tell my mom that I was depressed or when the doctors would tell my mom, like, okay, she has MDD and a lot of anxiety. Um, it's kind of like I'm speaking a different language to my mom. And even mm -hmm. now, like, sometimes it's still kind of like, no, what do you mean you're depressed? Like, I mean, what, why, like, what's wrong, you know? And so um, I think just, it's been a, it's been like a mission to just develop more of a vocabulary and a language around it. And maybe mm -hmm. the past generations, it's just never really been a topic of discussion. What is your perspective in terms of being a parent? And experiencing your own mental health, but also your daughter's mental health. It's hard because, you know, back in the 90s, they weren't talking about mental health. Like early 2000s, they weren't talking about that, not like how it is now. And I mean, if they were, I didn't know anything about it. So everything that I felt, I was like, okay, well, I'm just tripping. But as, as time went on and as, you know, my generation got a little bit older and here comes a new generation um, of, of kids coming up and they're more prone to, you know, to talk about mental health or, you know, now mental health is more of a thing to, to include in conversation now. Now I start to figure out, okay, well, you know what? So that's what that was. Wow. So that's, that, that was, that was what that was. Wow. So as I was becoming a young father, I was learning stuff about myself too. So transitioning from my daughter being an infant and barely learning about my mental issues, going from there to eight or nine to where she's really going through something, that was a struggle. And then now coming off of that to her being 13, it's, wow, it, you learn a lot. You learn a lot. Um, you learn a lot about patience. You learn a lot about, you really learn what strength really is. And you learn, I mean, it's far beyond learning the sense of responsibility. It's a whole nother life that you gotta take care of with their, with their own intellect, their own growing mind, their own you know, level of maturity or the lack thereof. And with all that bundle of stuff going on and still trying to figure me out, it is, it is something. It's, it's like a long, uh, tumultuous, but rewarding journey. And I mean, I'm only speaking for me. I don't know about how anybody else as a young parent, I don't know how they do it, but it's it's that emotional roller coaster that's worth that's worth it. You know what I mean? Um, and honestly, honestly, I wouldn't have any other way.
I love it. I'm learning a lot. I'm learning a whole lot about myself, about my daughter, the generation that she's in. I mean, and with that knowledge, I'm able to relate more. So it's at the end of it all, though, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. That is so beautiful. I was braiding one of my friend's hair on sun Sunday and she's a young mom. She's a young black mom. And of course, whenever you're braiding someone's hair, you're going to connect. You're going to go all in and talk about all of your experiences, your entire life story. You're so much fun. And she talks so much about how just the relationship with her mom and how that went down, how it's still kind of happening and just taking certain points from there and just kind of tweaking it in a certain way. Um, I think maybe her biggest thing is just like, she just doesn't want her daughter to feel unwanted. Like she doesn't want her daughter to feel like if she's going through a challenging emotion, that in that moment, she doesn't want her daughter around or her daughter's annoying her or her daughter is being a problem or if it's her daughter's fault in any way, Mm -hmm. but it is a challenge trying to be both like go through your emotions because it's healthy to feel your emotions, but also feeling like you have to set an example or an image for your child, a visual. Do you ever feel like you are pretending in front of your daughter or do you ever feel that pressure to model behavior in that way? Yeah, it's a lot of pressure in that. Um, and that's because, in a sense, we're both growing. You know what I mean? So there are times where I could, I'd say I, I could, I'm slipping up. But I mean, I think about it, am I really slipping up or am I still learning? Because, you know, like, I'm only 33. The, the earth has been around for billions of years, so I'm still learning, right? Um, but yeah, I feel that pressure. And a lot of times, a lot of times, like it's a clash between, okay, well, something happens. I immediately feel this way. And not all the time in my, in my head, like, oh, this is an indicator because I'm human. Of course, I'm going to have that mistake. And then at the same time, my daughter's feeling a certain kind of way. So a lot of times it's opposite. Um, <laughs> and then with all that in together, it's kind of like solving a very hard calculus problem and not having a lick of calculus knowledge. So it's like going with the flow of it, even going with the flow of it can sometimes be dangerous because for instance, I can act out too much and she takes it in a way that is probably detrimental to her later on. Um, And with those moments, which that doesn't happen, especially not anymore, but in those moments, it's like, what I try to do is try to develop the strength within that instant to make sure that I am okay for that moment to teach. Because you can't teach if you're already trying to figure something out. Like you're like already in your head, like you don't know what to do. So you always gotta remain, well, from this is me saying, but I always gotta remain calm enough to be like, listen, this right here ain't right or it's wrong. Let me teach you. And then when I'm able to solve that problem for her, then I'll go off somewhere else or I'll go outside or I'll take a drive or I'll listen to some music or, you know, read something to get my mind back on track. It's hard though. It's hard. It's hard. Cause I'm still young. Like, yeah, I'm 33, but I'm still young. Like, and she's like in her teens. Like, hey, yo. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> it's like she's always she's always been growing and changing but like the teen years i've always heard are just gonna fly by and they change so much every hour yeah and it's like trying to keep up with it yeah it's a lot to keep up with and then (laughs) listen you also have to add in the factor of the current environment that these kids are in right now like when I was growing up, there was no Twitter, 
no Facebook, no Instagram, no cell phones. If you were a kid, you were outside. You feel me? You were riding your bike. You were chilling with the homies on the Let's Go Transformer down the street. Nowadays, kids are growing up at the at the weirdest rate because of what they have in front of them. And it's, listen, it's haywire out here. It is haywire out here. Like, any young parents about to look at this podcast out here, got some growing teens coming up. It's wild out here. You got to be super strong out here <laughs> because anything can raise your child under you raising your child. Tell, let me tell you, yo. Yes. It, it, it's crazy out here. Like, ooh, it, take, it, it takes a certain one to handle it, I'll tell you. Mm. Yes, like I found the internet like in my teens. And I think like, I don't know, for some reason I really loved looking at room tours on YouTube. And I never once thought anything was wrong with my room until I started watching those videos and just comparing my life, myself, how I look, what I'm interested in, what I want to do for a living. It's all kind of I pass it through the internet first to see what mm. it looks like. And then I mm-hmm. compare my journey along the way. And it's just that much more emotionally exhausting. I, I mean, I was doing an interview a while ago with, um, with Mike Zemer. He's the founder of So It Means Festival in, in uh, Arlington, Texas. Yeah. And he was talking about how like he loves social media. Social media is really important when it comes to promoting events, but he definitely couldn't imagine being on social media like being a teenager or just in an early stage of life in terms of a new project or just trying something new. There's so much going on and the internet can be really noisy at times. Yes. Very dangerous as well. Very dangerous. Especially for a young mind. Trust and believe that. (laughs) I completely, completely understand. I will say like, I think when it comes to my dad, like my dad, I think one of the main things is just, he is still trying to work on communicating his emotions in the moment because, and I guess this is still a a healthy boundary. Like whenever he is feeling a challenging emotion, he is kind of just like, okay, I just need to be left alone. But I think as a kid, maybe I internalize that as like, oh, if somebody is feeling an unpleasant emotion, it's my fault. And Mm. I feel like I'm making somebody experience an unpleasant emotion. I need to disappear. I need to like go away and make myself invisible and just, and I think like it's 100% not his fault, but it is, it has been a challenge. Just try not to take anything personally. Like you were talking about Mm. earlier, when you feel lost and when you feel, I don't know, why is hopeless the first word that came into my mind? But when you, when you feel like, you know, you have tried everything and it can be in any context, what kind of helps you come back to center within yourself? What helps you recalibrate? Honestly, as cliche as it may sound, but it also takes a lot of strength to do. And that strength against what you're mentally fighting. Um, I literally stop and I look around where I'm at and I say to myself, you were, a, you, well, you are now a lot better than this than a few years ago. Like you at this moment right now have so much versus years ago. Um, <clears throat> and if I don't look at the things in front of me, I think about who's in my life. The, the core people that's in my life. And then I think about that. I'm like, you're blessed to have these people in your life right now. Because if I think too far ahead or if I think too far back, that's when I get the trip. But if I think in the present moment, who is with me or who is even in my vicinity and why they are here, then I'm like, okay. It's not all that bad. So let me see if I can recollect myself. And then I begin on my journey and listen to music or writing something, reading something, whatever. But when I, 
basically when I get to the base of everything, then I'm like, okay, okay, I'm good. What's your, what's your perspective on therapy? Like, have you ever been curious about going to therapy? Do you mind me asking if you've ever been in therapy before? <laughs> No, I have not been to therapy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. Have you ever thought yeah. about it before? No, yeah, I have thought about it uh, plenty of times. Um, and it's not that I'm against it. And I think I'm going to be speaking out of ego when I say this. But... When I think about therapy, I really think about me talking to somebody else about how I feel, felt, and what I'm going through, right? Because I keep everything with me, I keep it simple. If I keep things at a simple level, then I can build off of it. So when I think about that, I kind of push it off to the side only because Ever since I was uh, 13 or 14, I have been nonstop reading my books on how to figure me out. So I would, I had a series of self-help books. I had a series of my favorite philosophers, different isms and stuff like that. Um, So for years before I even thought about what therapy was, I was trying to figure me out to the point now to where I've become the person that I am. Now, there are times, even to this day, where, I like, where I'm like, you know what? I do need to go talk to somebody. But then in that very same moment, I go off and do things that stimulate me and I find solace in whatever type of negativity that I'm going through. And then I just kind of let the layers off. I kind of peel the layers off of me to where I'm naked of vulnerability, but comfort. Then I'm like, all right, all right, I'm going to be good because you know what? I got this right now. I got that right now. I got the scene. I got homies. I got family. I got daughter, girlfriend, pets. I got this middle-class house. I got my business going. I got my magazine. Um, all these things. I'm like, you know what? Life ain't that fucking bad now, is it? <laughs> but that's just me, though. That's just me. Now, every I'm pretty sure every person has different things going on in their life, obviously. But what I will say is there is always some good somewhere. And you can find that. You can find that somewhere. As long as you are a living human being, there is some good somewhere. And even it can even boil down to, okay, well, I'm feeling bad this one day. I got a show on Friday to go to. You have something to look forward to. You know what I mean? So with that, you know, because if you go anywhere else, you don't have that to look forward to, to make you feel better. You know what I mean? We're all human. We got things out here that is put in front of us that is able to make us feel better. We just got to have the strength to fight all this up here. So we can get to this thing that's gonna make us feel better real quick. You know what I mean? Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm gonna write that. (laughs) (laughs) Literally my voice, my throat always kind of messes up whenever I'm talking. My throat is like, okay, precious, it's time to stop. But, I love, I'm going to write that on my arm, like, keep it simple, because I really do think I over, well, it's okay, but I tend to overthink, overcomplicate things when it's just not necessary, and especially, okay, I'm, like, Eckhart Tolle's number one fan, and his whole thing is, like, he's this philosopher, he's, like, thinking is something that happens to you, like, you're not in, in control of your mind, and it's your mind's nature, so it's, like, I'm trying not to think of like my brain is like against me, but it's mainly just about finding a flow. And Mm -hmm. when it comes to therapy, like it's like, however you're feeling is just completely valid at any given time. It's mainly just knowing that there are resources out there 
to help us if and when we need it. And it's just, but you do have such a beautiful take on it as well, as it really is something like fortune. I mean, that's what my therapist tells me all the time. She's just like, oh, precious, there's so much to look forward to. There's so many good things going on. Like, maybe try not to fixate on what's going wrong and mm-hmm. focus on what is going right. Because there is, your mind will make more of whatever it's fixating on. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, we'll say this. So, like, recently for me, well, Recently, yeah, I'll say recently. So I have, I've questioned myself on my fatherhood, right? Because I, so I uh, got custody of my daughter about a good year and a half ago with some change. And so that transition from, I'm just going to keep it what it is, hell and high water. And that transition from hell and high water for her into me having custody of her and a whole new drastic life change for her, it brought upon some challenges. Um, Challenges so much so that I even question my own fatherhood. Like, am I doing this right? What am I doing wrong? Why is this still happening? Why am I not doing this? Or just all kinds of questions in my head. Right. And that's been going on forever. And even to this day, sometimes I still have um, trouble with that because it's hard. Like I say, it's hard out here. Like <clears throat> and seeing <clears throat> everything on her face from what she's going through and stuff like that and having to compensate and stuff like that, it's, it's hard. So I've been doing a lot of questioning, but <clears throat> I go back and, and, and so I say, keep it simple. I go back to really what it is. If I wasn't a good dad, <clears throat> how did I win custody? You know what I mean? So from there, I'm able to build on that realization. And even when I, even <clears throat> if I go back in the recent past and I replay how everything went down to the point to where now <clears throat> she is 100% safe with me, fed every single day house over her head, clothes on her back, any and everything that she wants, then what am I really thinking about? You know what I mean? Like, what am I really thinking about? And sometimes I'll dig deep into why I really feel that way, but there's times where it's not necessary. Sometimes I, it goes straight to what I said earlier. Your emotions are... Well, I look at emotions as an indicator for something. And then after that is what you do with that. So when that emotion of me feeling worthless or hopeless in my fatherhood, oh no. <clears throat> Break down the basis of that and recognize that it's an emotion, it's an indicator. Recognize what's going on with that indicator. You know, okay, all right, well, you know what? Listen, build off of that, build off of that. Do you often reference your own childhood and how you were parented and your younger self whenever you are in that mindset of, am I a good father? Yes, that is exactly how I'm raising my daughter. Because what I went through in my uh, childhood is similar, if not the exact same, what my daughter went through. So everything that... I didn't like, or I went through, or I hated, or I wasn't able to get a get something out of in, 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 a, in a way to where I can learn, I implement that to my fatherhood now, you know? Yes, because there is, what I've heard is like, there is no right or wrong way to do it. It's really just, you're taking, you're learning from your own experiences and you're also just letting situations be like just kind of taking the moment for what it is and not wanting anything else from the present moment other than what is and just kind of dealing with it in in that moment from a like a daughter's perspective i promise you well first off i have no idea but i promise i bet you are the best dad ever and I am so sure your daughter is so 
proud of you and wouldn't want any other dad ever, ever in life. Especially since you have a freaking magazine. Oh my God, just imagine if you're dad in a magazine. But there is so much compassion there. And there is so much grace there that will last for an entire eternity. Especially if you are being conscious and self-aware and challenging yourself, challenging your fatherhood and your parenting. I think that that's a sign of maybe, I don't know if imposter syndrome counts, but I think I've read somewhere where they're like, if you weren't ready for the opportunity, you wouldn't have it. Mm, okay yeah okay 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 that's kind I love your perspective of like yeah you know like I don't think it would have worked out to where I get to be her father if I wasn't ready or if I wasn't capable yeah yeah as I think about it yeah okay (laughs) I was telling Chris before we started recording too that like I didn't know who he was but we were like standing right next to each other at prom court I think like well I know for sure when Scow was performing and then maybe when Zulu was performing. But when I was around him, I just felt so safe and secure and I don't know why. I think <laughs> it could have it could have been the whole the whole night. I, I just saw us in scoped exposures footage of Scow and Zulu. So I'm like, okay. But <laughs> my final so thank you so much, Chris. Mm-hmm. My final question. Chris, if you could write a love letter to hardcore, mm-hmm. a thank you letter to hardcore, what would you write? What would you say? Well, me as a writer, that'd have been a long letter. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like thinking, I was like, maybe, and you totally still can if you like. I was like, maybe I should tell him beforehand. <laughs> he might write something, but okay, okay. <laughs> Oh man, um, I mean, if you ask me right now, it's gonna have to be short and simple because I use this thing up here to really get the writing. But um, you know what? Instead of instead of a letter, since we're in this moment, I'll say a post, a Twitter post. I would say to the DMW hardcore scene, listen, at any point in time. Don't let no venue get over on y'all. Keep going. <laughs> Keep, Keep going. Going. Keep going. Don't let no venue get over on any of y'all. <laughs> None of that. Because while I'm still here in the D- in the DFW hardcore scene, and if I'm in the venue and they treat my friends like shit, I'm gonna do something about it and I'm gonna write about it <laughs> for yes. real. Mm-hmm. I feel like Board Magazine is one of my favorite places on the internet. I'm definitely going to search around more now that I'm not in interview mode. I'm like, I just want to browse and I just want to hang out there. And we definitely have to freaking do another collab with For the Punks. Carolyn is our founder, such a huge fan of Board Magazine, and she's going to be there in November. She's so excited to meet you. So we totally have to, we're going to have to collab with both okay. magazines as well. Okay, nice, nice, yes, yes. I'm definitely down to collab. I'm trying to collab with the world right now, honestly. With the entire world. Thank you so, so, so much for your time today. I was so excited for this and I'm so excited to see you again in November. I'm so excited to just hang out on Board Magazine, see what other shows you cover and what other reviews you post. but. All the work you've done so far for the past five years, the work that you're continuing to do, it's so, so necessary. Such a Texas pinnacle. And thank you. Thank you. I'm so, so grateful for it. I'm so grateful for your energy. Thank you so, so much for having me. Like you said nothing but kind words about Board Magazine. I never thought I'd hear come out of anybody's mouth. No, it is such a brilliant project. And there is so much of you in it as well. From the (laughs) font to the logo to just the way you describe things. Like it's it's definitely you. And that's how it should be for sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Single Day Act Like You Know Fest passes are now available at actlikeyouknowfest.com. 
There's a handful of weekend passes as well. If you have bought or plan to buy a weekend pass, enter the promo code ALYK918 at checkout to receive discounted after show tickets. After show tickets are limited and will sell out. If you've already purchased an after show ticket at full price, email okhcbooking at gmail.com and they will refund the difference. The day-to-day lineups are available on Act Like You Know's Instagram at Act Like You Know Fest and Twitter at A-L-Y-K Fest. Proceeds from the Act Like You Know after shows will benefit the Terry Williams Memorial College Fund. Act Like You Know Fest is also looking for a photographer and videographer to cover the fest documentary style. It's a paid gig, so if you're in the local area, DM or email okhcbooking at gmail.com. Thank you all so much again for tuning in to the How Are You Really Feeling podcast. To keep the conversation going, you're welcome to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, all with the username How Are You Really Feeling podcast. Mm-hmm.